Today we are going to be digging into God's Word just like we always do. And today we're going to be talking about the cost of discipleship. And it's in Luke chapter 14. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? It won't cost you anything to follow Him but your life. As we study God's Word today, I want to keep this question in the back of our minds. Am I a follower of Christ? Am I a disciple of His? Does my life represent a marked change since I repented and believed in Him? Why do we want to think about these questions? Because Scripture tells us to test ourselves, to examine ourselves, to see if we are in the faith or not. We are going to take a look at this test of being a disciple of Christ. What does Christ require from believers to be His disciples, to be His follower, to be a Christian? We know faith alone saves us. But as Rob taught last week, wide is the path. Great is the gate that leads to destruction. And many people are on that wide gate. On that wide path to destruction. Does my life match my beliefs? Today's message is as serious as serious gets. 100 years from now, there's only one thing that is going to matter. Where am I spending eternity? Am I in heaven or am I in hell suffering for all ages to come? Nothing else is going to matter. Not my family, not my home, not my job, Not my 401k. Nothing else is going to matter unless you are a disciple of Christ. That He is your Lord. That He is your Master. That He is your Savior. If at the end of the day, your walk does not match your talk, then you don't have it. It doesn't matter how many times you ask Jesus into your heart. It doesn't matter if you believe that Jesus can save you from hell. It doesn't matter if you are sorry for your sins. If your confession of faith is not shown by how you live your life, you don't have it. Do you ever question your faith? Do you ever wonder, am I really a Christian? I mean, maybe you know how to become a Christian, but that doesn't mean that you are a Christian. I know where Los Angeles is, and I know how to get there. But if I don't travel the path, if I don't move, I never get there. I can go onto my computer. I can load up MapQuest. I can put my destination in, Los Angeles. I can see the purple route on how to get there. I can see how many miles it is, how long it's going to take me. I can print it out. I can study it. I can look at it. I can know everything about getting to Los Angeles. But if I don't go, what good is it? 
I've just wasted time. Am I one of His own? Am I a true disciple of Christ? Does He own me? Many people today have a misunderstanding of a biblical definition of what it means to be saved and how they know that they are saved. I've talked with people who say that they are saved, but their understanding of salvation is not a biblical one. This is the most important aspect of our life. Am I saved? Am I a disciple? My goal today is that if you are saved, not to doubt your salvation, but to strengthen it, to know that you are in the faith. However, if you are questioning whether you are a true believer or not, let's examine Scripture today. And we want to make it perfectly clear that we all have an understanding. I don't want to roll the dice on this one. I don't want to take chances. If you had a terminal tumor and the doctor removed it from you, you would say that he saved you. If you were in a burning building and firemen came in and took you out, you would say they saved you. If a lifeguard jumped off of his lifeguard stand, ran across the sand, saw you being pulled out by a riptide, jumped in the water, came and saved you, rescued you, we would say he saved you. The Bible teaches you have a terminal tumor called sin. And it is such a strong undertow. It is dragging you to the flames that never cease. But God in His mercy sent His Son to die for your sins, to pay your penalty, so that you could be what? Saved. So I can be saved. However, the fact is, there are many people who are not saved. There are many people in churches across America who think they are saved, but they're not. There are people in our church today who think they are saved, but they are not. Last week, Rob explained this wide path and gate. In Matthew chapter 7, I want you guys to turn to your Bibles, and I want to take a look at Matthew 7, 21. As Robert said, that there are many who are on this broad path, wide gate. And they don't even realize they are on this path, this path to destruction. And Jesus tells us explicitly, there are those who think they have a relationship with Christ, but they are deceived. So let's take a look at Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. 
Are you saved? Do you have a biblical explanation of why you are saved? You are not saved because you say so. You are not saved because you know how to be saved. You are no more in downtown Los Angeles just because you know how to get there. It is not what you say that makes you saved. This is so important. It is so important that we know how we are saved. That we know we are true disciples of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we don't want to be wrong on this one. We want to make sure that we have a perfect and clear understanding the cost of becoming a disciple of Christ, a believer, a follower of Him, which are all interchangeable words for being a Christian. It is the great gospel message that we cling to. There is no better good news than the good news. Each one of us can be His disciple. If we repent of our sins, if we turn from our sins, if we put our trust and faith into who Jesus Christ is and what He accomplished on the cross at Calvary. And finally, we need to live a life that represents God is our Lord, He is our Master, He is our Savior. If we do that, then according to His promises, He will save us from an eternity spent in hell. And we like this idea of salvation. There's nobody who says, I want to go to hell. No one. No one says they want to go to hell. So is there just some magic prayer that I need to say and then live my life the way I want to live it? I have a ticket to heaven. I said the magic prayer. I hear this from people all the time. I hear people talk about their friends. Oh yeah, my friend, he walked down at the Harvest Crusade. He was down at Angel Stadium. He said the prayer. He's saved. And I'm like, fantastic. Where's he going to church? Oh, well, he, he doesn't go to church. Oh, wow. Well, oh. well, are you guys in a Bible study together? Are you guys studying the Word of God? Well, no, not really. Yeah, we don't do any of that. Oh, well... Does his life look different? Does he do the things that he's always done? Or has he changed? Is he living a life of holiness? No, not really. He's still doing all the same stuff. And he's saved? Really? And then we have other people who've talked about professing their faith, who've walked completely away from their faith. Bart Ehrman, who graduated from Moody Bible Institute, and he received his Ph.D. at Princeton Theological Seminary. He became an evangelical pastor who left the faith. What does he do now? He's an author. What kind of books does he write? He writes books that says, the Bible that you're holding in your hand is not true. It is false. The things that Jesus said are not true. He is not Lord. He is not Savior. Are these people disciples of His? Are these people disciples of Christ? Because at one time they said that they were. Are they saved from the fiery pit of hell? Because they made some profession of faith at some point in time. Well, let's take a look today 
And what Jesus says is the cost of his of being his disciple. And I want to make sure that you guys understand this. These words come from Jesus. They're not my opinion. They're not this church's opinion. It is from God Himself who says this. At this church, we don't give our own opinions, but we search the Scriptures. We test all things against Scripture. And we want to hold each other accountable to Scripture. So I want you guys to turn to Luke 14. And this is our main passage that we're going to be looking at today. So that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke 14, starting in verse 25 this morning. Now, large crowds were going along with him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be, what? My disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be, what? My disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and it is not able to, and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, "This man began to build and was not able to finish." Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider? whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be what? My disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good. But even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has an ear, let him hear. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for your word, Lord. We are so thankful that you give us your truth. Lord, I pray today that you open our ears so we can hear what you're speaking to us. Open our eyes and let us see the wonders of your truth. Lord, convict our hearts where we need conviction. Lord, convict me. You convict us, Lord. Lord, I just thank you for these people here today and their desire to come and know about you, Lord. Just let your message go forth today. And all God's people said, Amen. When I read this passage of Scripture from our Lord's mouth, I think about churches in today's day and age would be going, this is way too radical. What are you talking about? People just need to come have a good time. We don't need to be serious about this stuff. What do you mean with these things you are telling me? I have, to be, I have to give up everything to be a follower of Christ? Can't I just add Jesus to my life? 
and do my own thing? Hey, Jesus, here I am over here. Come over and follow the things I'm doing. Three times, Jesus tells us in this, in this passage, in verse 26, 27, and 33, if you want to be my disciple, then your life is going to represent a life dedicated to him. It is interesting. He doesn't say to be just any disciple, but to be my disciple. You're going to have to put me above everything. You're going to be, need to be willing to die for me. You are going to have to be willing to give all of your wealth, all of your possessions. What is a disciple? And what does it mean when Jesus tells us to be one of his disciples? The Greek word for disciple is mathetaeus, which means learner, an apprentice, a pupil attached to a teacher or movement, one whose allegiance is to the instruction and commitments of that teacher or movement. In Jesus' day, there were many different types of disciples. We had disciples who were following after the Pharisees of the day. We have disciples who were following after rabbis of the day. We even have disciples who were following John the Baptist. And then, of course, we have those people who were following Jesus. They were his disciples. And I want to make sure that we understand this word disciple is interchangeable with being a Christian. We're in Acts right now in our daily readings. And all throughout the book of Acts, Luke writes about the disciples, that they are followers, that they are Christians, that they are believers. For example, Luke writes at the end of Acts eleven twenty six, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So we have our passage. Jesus turns to the multitudes, a huge, giant crowd. I mean, these crowds were massive that were following Jesus. And we have to understand, where is Jesus going at this time? He is on his way to Jerusalem. To go where? To go to the cross. This is where he's traveling. And he turns to this great, giant group of people. And he pleads with them. He tells them, if you want to be my disciple, then there is going to be a cost. It's not just coming to me initially, but it's coming and staying with me. And we see many people in the Bible who call themselves disciples, but they turn and they leave Jesus. They find Jesus' message too difficult to follow. They don't continue to the end. I want you to turn to John. One book to the right there. We're going to turn to John 6. And we're going to take a look at people who call themselves disciples of Christ. And we're going to see if they finish to the end or not. So that's John 6, starting in verse 47. Incredible piece of scripture here. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. 
I am the living bread and came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews begin to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. I do the things he says. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so who eats me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the father Satan died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. His blood, his blood and his body sustains us for all of eternity. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. And who it was would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. What? A powerful piece of scripture, an incredible piece of scripture. Why didn't the disciples continue to follow to the end? It's because they started to count the cost. What you're asking of us is way too difficult. Jesus, I like watching you do the miracles. I like watching you make the bread and double the fish. And you feed us. I like that. I like your power. I like the way you draw large crowds. But what? You're asking us to believe about you? Nah, it's too hard. It's too hard. We can't follow this. They left because they were never true disciples to begin with. They didn't finish the course and they perished. They were false disciples. I want you guys to turn to your Bibles to 1 John. If you go all the way to the end of the Bible, to Revelation, and then you go back Jude, 3 Peter, or 3 John, 2 John, and 1 John. And we want to look at 1 John 2.19. And we want to see why they fell away. What does John write to us? So that's 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not 
of us. They didn't follow through to the end. They were never true disciples to begin with. They left and stopped following Jesus. Let's flip back to our passage in Luke 14. And let's see what Christ is asking us to do exactly. What does it take to be Jesus' disciple to the very end? Do you see why Pastor John, we always hear him. What is he saying? He says it's not so important how you started the race. But it's so important how you finish. Do you finish to the end? Verse 26 in Luke 14 tells us this. Jesus tells us this. We must hate our father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Do you want to be my disciple? Then you need to put me first. Jesus is obviously not telling us that we are to hate our family. But it's a Jewish Semitic term about loving them less. If I have to make a choice, between my family, following my family, or following Christ, there should be no question who I choose. I follow Christ no matter what. We are to love our family, but we are to love Christ more. Christ is asking us, do you love me more than anything? Do you love me more than your family and friends? The answer needs to be yes if I want to be a disciple of Christ. Then at the end of verse 26 and 27, he even takes it further. He tells us at the end of verse 26 that we even have to hate our own lives. You have to be willing to give up all of your wants, all of your ambitions, all of your goals, all of your wants. It doesn't matter what you want. It only matters what Christ wants from you. He is to be our reigning authority in our lives. We are to die to ourselves. He is our Lord. He is our Master. And we are His slaves. Jesus tells us in John 12, 25, He who loves His life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Just so it is perfectly clear, Jesus continues to tell us, if I want to be my own, if I want to be a disciple of his, I need to carry my own cross and come after him. If you are not willing to carry your cross and come after him, you can't be his disciple. Jesus is so serious. He's saying, you need to be willing to die for me. You have to pay the ultimate cost if you want to be my disciple. The word carry is bastezo in the Greek, and it metaphorically means to bear a burden, to bear pain, or to bear suffering. You're willing to put your life on the line, whatever it takes, even if it's death, Because why? Because it's so valuable. The pearl of salvation is so worth it. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, it comes at the highest cost, our lives. Are you willing to die for Christ? And it may be a physical death, or it could be my wants, my ambitions, 
what I think is important to life. I need to die to those things. The cost is high to be a disciple of His. And then Jesus goes on to tell us two parables. The first parable starts in verse 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, "This This man began to build and was not able to finish. We need to understand, in Jesus' day and age, unlike today, to bring shame upon yourself, to embarrass yourself, was not done during that time. I don't bring shame upon myself. I don't bring ridicule. I don't want people making fun of me. If you are going to build a tower, then you are going to count the cost. You're going to make sure that you can complete it. If all you end up with is a foundation and no tower... What is the point of even starting the project? They would have understood. The people would have ridiculed him for not finishing his tower. This man was unable to complete his tower. And what was that partially built tower look like to the people? It was a monument to his stupidity for not counting the cost. But if we count the cost, We know what we're going to get into. And we can finish to the end. And then Jesus gives another parable in uh, verse 31 and 32. And it says, Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends out a delegation and asks, four terms of peace. We have a leader here who knows a giant army is bearing down on him. Does he open the gates and run out to meet this army that is twice the size of his and get slaughtered? No. He starts assessing the situation. Do I have what it takes to be able to conquer this larger army? Is there some way that I can conquer them? And if not, it's better to send out a delegate, ask for peace terms, than to be what? Than to be slaughtered. And Jesus gives us these examples to help us understand that we need to seriously consider the cost of becoming one of his disciples. He's asking, count the cost. And these are not complex stories. But he is simply saying that there are issues in life that we need to carefully examine before committing ourselves to those things. And then in verse 33, he says, So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. Wait a minute. He told me I have to give up my life I have to be willing to give up my family. And now you're telling me I have to give up everything that I have? I have to be willing to give it all away? I have a beautiful home. I got a 401k. I got two nice cars in the garage. I got a 72-inch plasma TV. You're asking me I have to give it away? What are you talking about? 
Yes, you have to be willing to give it all up. If not, then you cannot be my disciple. He may not ask you to give everything up. And he probably won't ask you to give everything. But if he asks, you better be willing to say yes. Who was not willing to give up their possessions in the Bible? Who came seeking after Jesus saying, Jesus, tell me, how do I get eternal life? How do I get saved? How do I become one of your disciples? How do I become a follower of yours? Let's turn to Matthew 19 and verse 16. And we're going to look at the young rich ruler who came to Jesus seeking eternal life. And we're going to see what happens. So that is Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Do what I say. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Did he drop on his knees and say, yes, I'm willing. Did he say, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to become a follower of yours. I've counted the cost and I'll give up everything I have to follow you. But what does he say in 22? But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Why didn't Jesus run after him? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, okay. Right, what I've said, I I know it's a little difficult. It's a little hard to hear. You know what? Maybe you just need to kind of warm up to the idea. Why don't you keep your wealth and just follow me? Is that what he said? No. And what were the results? He let him walk away grieved. Why did he let him go? Because Jesus wants true disciples, those who are willing to give it all away. Not that you will have to, but he may ask you to give up your wealth, to give up your wants, to give up your life. Can you see why Jesus says the path to eternal life is so narrow? There is a serious cost. It costs us everything, but the price is so worth it. Because we get to spend eternity with Him forever as our Lord and Savior. Then we come to verses 34 and 35, and we see the word, therefore. I've told you all these things, so listen to this final thought. Or another word, for therefore would be since. Since I have said all these things, let me leave you with the last idea. Therefore, salt is good, but even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless. 
either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has an ear, let him hear. You may be thinking to yourself, I've never tasted saltless salt. Well, we need to understand, where did salt come from in Jesus' day? It came from the Dead Sea, and it was loaded with all kinds of other minerals. And one of those minerals was gypsum. And if the gypsum was not removed, the salt would become tasteless. It would become useless. It also had agricultural properties to it. That you could spread out salt on the field and it would kill the weeds. And in the proper quantity, it would feed the plants. It would be fertilizer. Or you could use it as in the manure pile by throwing salt to help the decomposition process. To create fertilizer for the fields. Salt was valuable in Jesus' day. It was so valuable that Roman soldiers would be paid their wages and how much salt they got. So what is Jesus telling us by this example of salt? If I'm a disciple of His, if I'm saved, then I will be what a follower of Christ looks like. I'm going to love Christ above all others. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to be willing to give up everything for Him. I'm going to be like salt that has full of flavor, that's useful. If I'm tasteless though, I have zero value. And what does he say? He says, throw it out. It's of no use. Do you see how serious this is? If you're not a disciple of Christ, then you are like useless salt that should be thrown out. Where will these useless people be thrown? Revelation 20.15 tells us, And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown where? Into the lake of fire. We may be asking ourselves this morning, why is Jesus using such harsh language? Why is he using such offensive terms? Because he is eager to drive the uncommitted away as he is to wanting to draw to him true disciples, true believers, true Christians. He does not want half-hearted people to be deceived in thinking that they're his disciple when they're not. It's like the church of Laodicea. What does Jesus say about that church? He says, I'd rather have you, I want you hot on fire for me. I want you to live your life completely for me. I want you to be sold out. I want you to deny yourself. I want you to live for me. Pick up your cross, follow me. Or, here's the other choice. Cold. Hate me, rebel against me, deny me. Live your life the way you want to. Here's the two choices. I'm either hot or I am cold. But what does he tell people who believe they have one foot on one side and one foot on the other side? If you are lukewarm, what does he say? I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I am going to vomit you out. I'd rather have you 100% on fire for me or 100% and complete rebellion. He hates half-hearted followers who in all actuality are not followers at all. It is as Pastor John taught us in Joshua 
as we go into the land, we are going to have to fight the giants. If we don't fight the giants, then just go home. Just go home. Don't be deceived. It's not a complete cakewalk. I don't just add Jesus to my life. But He becomes my complete replacement. He becomes my everything. Are you going to be His disciple? Or are you going to withdraw and leave grieving because the cost is too high? I want to take a look at one last passage this morning. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, Romans, and then we have 1 and 2 Corinthians. So we want to look at 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And we want to look at why, why have we done this this morning? Why have we examined ourselves? Why are we counting the cost this morning about being a disciple of Christ? And Paul writes to us, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? This is what we have been doing today, examining ourselves. Do you know what happens if you fail this test? You are going to die two deaths. You are going to die here on earth like all of us. But you're going to experience a second death. You are going to stand before God and be condemned and be thrown into the lake of fire that never stops burning for all of eternity. That's what happens if we fail this test. So Jesus leaves us with a final call in our passage. He who has an ear, let him hear. Do you hear him calling today? Have you been living your life for yourself? Or have you been living it for God? Do you want to get right with God today? Do you want to pass the test? Then today is to be a true disciple of his who finishes to the very end. Here's how I pass the test. I confess with my mouth that Lord is God. Jesus Christ is God. I repent of my sins. And that's not just saying I'm sorry for my sins. But repenting means I turn from them. I no longer want to do those sins. I believe that Christ died on the cross. He raised from the dead and that He has paid my penalty. He suffered and took my penalty on the cross. And last, you need to live a life that bears being His disciple, living for Him day and night, loving Him more than anything in this world, dying to yourself, picking up your cross, and giving Him everything. Are you a disciple of Christ. It won't cost you anything to follow Him, but your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for Your Word. We are so thankful for the truth, Lord. I pray that there's there's anyone here today who's questioning whether they are a true disciple, Lord, that You open their eyes Let them hear Your truth in the quiet of their time today. Let them call out to You. 
to be their Savior, to be their Lord, to live a changed life. And for those of us who believe, Lord, let us once in a while examine ourselves. Let us be a reminder to us of what you require from us. That we are in the faith. We are followers of you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for what you did upon that cross. That you were willing to die for us. I'm just so thankful for for your word, Lord. I'm thankful for this church, Lord. I'm thankful for these people. Let us go out and be disciples of yours today. And all God's people said, Amen.